Rick Madison here, Rick and Friends, and uh, it it seems to be in the last month we've had uh, Doug Gilchrist, we've had Ramatusi. Okay, so I'm a little bit of a fan club of of the Planners. Okay, and I admit that, and and that's that's uh, something I have to deal with. So, um, Divisional Director of Planning and Development, City of Kelowna, Ryan Smith. Welcome to the big show. Thanks, Rick. It's nice to hear your velvety smooth voice again. So you have two first names. Really? Smith's not a first name. It kind of You is. can't trust someone with two first names. No, you can't. But they do make good superheroes and main actors in action movies. So really. I, you think Smith would be a good first name? Yeah. Like, oh, hey, okay. Smith. Well, in, in Matrix, mm-hmm. wasn't weren't they yeah, the Smiths? They, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So follow me on that vein. Like, I mean, come on. But nobody ever calls me, hey, Smith. I, got, I have nicknames, but that's not one of them, really. Would it be Smitty? I get a Smitty every now and then. Do you? Yeah. Everybody thinks thinks that I'm the Edmonton Oilers hockey player, but that's spelled differently. Ooh, yeah. that could probably get you into yeah. some good restaurants and pubs, I would I think. I wish it ever worked. It doesn't. It doesn't? I just say Ryan Smith and they're like, sure, your name's not Ryan Smith. You know what? Uh, you just need the right entourage when you go to Edmonton. I'm that's all hanging, you need. I'm not hanging out with the right people then. No, clearly. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean that Gilchrist guy. Um so let's let's talk a bit about like what do you even do? Do you draw pictures on napkins or like what does the divisional director of planning and development do? Because that's a really really big title. It's a, it's more administration. So I have eighty staff, seventy five to eighty staff, depending on the time of year. Um, I've got planners who do long range planning, like the official community plan. I got planners who do. Uh, review of development and I have building inspectors, business licensing people, and some engineers. So, um, you know, on any given day, um, could be doing and helping with any number of different problems. Um, but yeah, you know, most of the time, my my job is to make sure I'm looking out ahead and trying to get them the resources that they need or helping solve the the big problems that they have. So, this would be on the on the front of when somebody has an issue, they they kick it upstairs to uh, to Smitty's office and. Smith will give them some insight, maybe. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I've been there um, almost 20 years now. Is it? So, Jeez, you still look yeah. pretty young, actually. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, so what happens is because, you know, you get a name like Ryan Smith, you've been there for 20 years, people remember it. And so, you know, I get, I still get the calls um, of someone who dealt with me 15 years ago, and I helped them out, and they're like, I'm going to call Ryan Smith again. Um, I think I need a new wheelbarrow. So I would imagine over that time, you've seen and heard a lot around City Hall, which we'll get into because that's going to be a lot of fun. But um, but the city's changing. Like, would you say in, in are, are we in a pivotal time? I keep saying that word, but are, are we in a pivotal time or no? I don't know. I think every time's a pivotal time. I mean, I think depending on the decisions you're making and, you know, whether you're making bold decisions and looking ahead or whether you're making sort of dumb decisions that tie your hands for the future. Um it really depends on, uh, you know, the, the time and, and who's in the job and, and sort of what you're listening to. Okay, so you, you work with the city of Kelowna for 20 years, whatever. And, and then you, you actually left for a, a window, 15, 15 months or so? Yeah, 15 months. And, and you work for who? I work for the mission group as a development manager. Really? Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Yeah, I, and it comes up every now and then. People think, oh, well, he worked with the real estate developers. He must be crooked. He's probably not a very good planner. And the reason I went and did that was because I wanted to see the other side of the industry. I mean, Kelowna hired me. Um, city of Kelowna, it's where my heart is. 
But uh, sort of an opportunity came up, and I was at a crossroads where I didn't really like my boss at the time. It wasn't Ron. It uh, wasn't Doug. Um, I like them, just to be clear. But, uh, yeah, I thought, you know what, why not see the other side of the industry? And then I spent about 15 months there and realized my heart was really with the city. And uh, happened that uh, Ron and I were having a beer one night, and I mentioned that. And then it uh, wasn't long after that when I was back at the city. But that makes you more valuable as as somebody who's in your department, because then you see what the other side of the counter looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think I know what it takes to get a development project up and running, and I know the you know the financial risks that you know a private sector company would take. And I have staff that think that they can ask someone to change their development plans, and you know a developer should just go do it and not ask questions. But what they don't think about is, you know, to build a you know a forty-unit townhouse complex, they might have spent a developer eighty thousand dollars on those plans. And to change them substantially might take another $60,000. Like, that's a lot of money to be shelling out and shelling out. And we're talking about housing crisis and affordable housing. Well, all these little decisions matter. And, and I, I would imagine in, in recent years, well, in the last year, inflation is probably exacerbated. A lot of these changes are variances and, and that kind of thing. I, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think that certainly we're lucky in Kelowna that uh, we're insulated a little bit. Um, every, lots of people want to live here. I mean, certainly the demand for housing here definitely ran up the housing prices. But at the same time, I think that uh, um, we've been in a spot where we've done a lot of innovation in the types of housing we've approved in our programs. And you know, we've had a good idea of how much we should be approving. And the fact is that COVID changed demand in the face of demand. We had no idea that... Uh, you know, more people from all over the country were going to be like scrambling to live here. And, and it seems like, and, and Matusi was one of those guys that told me that, he said, we're in the jet stream for the world. And, and I think a lot of people don't even get their heads wrapped around the fact that little Kelowna will continue to probably outpace a lot of communities for its growth. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, if you talk, we're a place that, you know, we're on the radar of very big international real estate development trusts and you know there's a lot of people buying um, a lot of really expensive land in Kelowna uh, we're a relatively safe place to invest um, if you and people are moving here because they love it they love the city and uh, you know we're going to have those problems that high growth cities have the traffic the you know the debates over you know whether to go spread up whether to spread out those are all things that come along with it so we have this this city that's growing exponentially um and I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the growth. Like they, they just are because it's not the same as it was with, you know, 40 foot Fred. So, so now we're in a different time. Um, do you often have those conversations during the week with, with citizens where they say, well, why can't we just leave it the same? Like, does that ever come up or is that just, or did it even get to your cell phone? <laughs> yeah. You know, every now and then I, uh, I get a call and I wonder, how did you even get to me? Like what? What series of staff did you go through? Or sometimes it is on my cell phone. I mean, I, uh, I, I answer my phone. So and that's one of the things that I think people like about me is that I have been accessible over the years, sometimes to my detriment. But, uh, um, you know, what I try and do is give them an idea of what the consequences are if we don't. I mean, what happens if um, we stop approving housing? Like, where does the service sector live in Kelowna? You know, all those people who, um, you know, they're cleaning homes, they're, you know, flipping hamburgers, uh, they're, you know, waiting tables in restaurants, um, they're students, they're like, where does that whole um, sector of the city live? Where does that whole population live? I think that 
I mean, they're the ones that are getting squeezed more than anything right now. And uh, we've got to figure that out. It, it seems like a, a multi-layered uh, problem, much like homelessness and a bunch of other things. It seems like there's just so many different um, stakeholders and different issues at, at, at stake. But are we getting any closer to, to being able to kind of, I, I guess, serve the, the supply? Because it, it seems like Kelowna is, has got so, much, so many people that want to move here. I, I think it'll always have a problem. You know what? I think there's going to, it's going to be a challenge we're always going to have. I mean, we'll be having this affordability discussion um, for the next, you know, rest of my career. When I got 15 years left, we'll be having it then. We'll be having it when I retire. People will be asking me, are there things you wish you did? And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Uh, but at the same time, like doing nothing isn't really an option. So um, we have to do something. Um, are we doing the right things? Uh, I think that the discussion is good. I don't know if calling this a housing crisis or we had a report that went forward calling it a crisis or a crossroads. It's probably both in a way. Um, you know, when uh, we have doctors moving here and they can't find a place to live, that's a problem. Um, you know, nurses can't find a place to live. Teachers can't find a place to live um, in the community. So I, I think that's an issue. Have we been improving a lot of housing? Uh, we've been improving record amounts of housing in Kelowna. And so, you know, over every year for the last three years, it's more and more and more. And then you have a public out there that criticizes council saying they approve everything. Well, what choice did they have? It's a good point, though. Yeah, they I didn't mean, have any choice. Because I, I, on the other side of it, you made a good point. What happens if we don't? Is there certain parts of the city that you, you drive around and you go, hmm, I was part of that. And, 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 and does it, is there ever kind of an emotional pull that you get when you drive around the city or is it because it, it must feel a little bit like work <laughs> when you drive around oh 100 i go to the grocery store and people want to talk about planning i have to wear i have to wear a hat and glasses so people don't recognize me but i, I mean i would say the a neighborhood that i love um to be in uh is that clement corridor now we've we've approved like i don't know two thousand new housing units have gone in that neighborhood over the last four years and that combined with all the brew pubs and the wineries. Like, how cool is that? They're all busy. They're vibrant. People are out walking. People are riding their bikes. Um, but, you know, between there, that the, the B&A corridor in there as well, like all around that neighborhood is so walkable. And I, I think that the challenge is going to be keeping it funky and a little industrial, but also, you know, the success is going to breed more desire to be in that neighborhood for other business too. And, and speaking of that area, and it is a very funky area, and I, I love the fact that, uh, well, because I, I like beer, uh, that there's more of it down there. But it, it does seem like the city has uh, certainly pushed more towards that walking, cycling, and, and really try to in- increase that, that aspect of the city. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's the only way um, that we can grow and not have a total traffic nightmare here 20 years from now. I mean, people are saying it's a nightmare today. Well, I, I mean, I think that um, maybe those are people that uh, have been lucky enough to live in cities that have like zero traffic and aren't high growth places. Considering how much we've grown, it's actually not too bad. I mean, if you tried to drive into Vancouver over the last six months, there's a nightmare. And I mean, I spent on a Monday middle of the day in um, the Fraser Valley, like two hours just sitting, driving in first gear. Like, how How is that, um, you know? I, but the they, they've the got po- challenges too. So, but think of the podcasts you can listen to. Hey, I did, I did too. <laughs> Which ones do you listen? I didn't to? listen to you. I'll have to start listening to yours. Well, I, I 
I'm actually kind of offended. Yeah, now that know. I'm in here, I'm going to have to start supporting you. Well, I think you know what this is. Uh, this is one of the little ships that could. Okay, this is this is growing. This it's is getting great. big. I like this. Okay, All it's right. getting big. So when I was talking to our good friend uh, Doug Gilchrist, he he did mention the fact that they often do hire people, and then you know they're vetted and everything else, and then they they can't seem to find any houses, and he says, well, wait a second. Uh, if they'd done their due diligence, then maybe they should have figured that out beforehand. But anyway, you know how Doug is. Um, but is is that? A, I guess it's going to continue to be a problem even for the city of Kelowna with the amount of employees we have. We have to really make sure that they have a place to live and and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it, it's big for the city too. It's big for the city too. I mean, I had that very situation happen to me, and uh, had someone we thought was great interviewed really well and they came a couple times to look for housing and then you know a couple days before they were supposed to start we heard they couldn't make it and you know fault them for that they, they did the best they could it just didn't work out and so it's back to the drawing board then and uh, one of the things we focused on was okay I called a, a bunch of um, colleagues locally and I said like I need to find someone I'm going to start um, you know taking coffee meetings with you know all sorts of people that might be qualified to figure out someone who lives here that, that might be willing to do this job and actually ended up filling the position um, using that tactic. So it worked out okay, but there will be positions where we still need to bring in someone from the outside and those will be tough ones. And so again, I think that's what, you know, one of the things that drives us on the housing front. It's, it's not just we hear about it from people in the community, we experience it. You must be a closer at lunch, eh? Like I can see you have a coffee with Ryan and all of a sudden, okay, okay. You can do a pretty good job on selling the city because well, you love the city yeah well you're you're i'm the third planner on here so you obviously love planning so maybe we need to get into like what what does does rick want to do a little contract planning work you don't you want wanna, me anywhere you, near you want to you want to like evaluate some towers maybe like do a little parks plan like what do you want to do you know what i'm more of a, a hockey rink guy you know that's my sweet spot right there yeah well, because um, what I would do is I would weight the ice uh, in a certain pattern. Like I would only play on one side and it was downhill from there. And basically I'd score a ton of goals. <laughs> Planners, explain their mindset, explain their brain, because I'm not sure I understand the planning brain. Are they, are they accountants? Are they engineer brains? Are they analytical, meticulous, fastidious? Like, it's a, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's not like the, I think the, there's a different mindset between, you know, whether it's, you've got a, an engineer or an accountant. Like, it's funny, I, I sit in rooms all the time where I have engineers and planners, and they're talking about the same thing, but they're talking two very different languages. And the planner's looking ahead saying, okay, how will the people that live here use this space, or who's going to live here? And the engineer's thinking, okay, well, how can we make sure it's, um, the roads or the infrastructure is safe for the people who will live here, but it's all about the hard infrastructure. The planners are thinking more about um, the people side of it. How will the people use it and experience the place, for example? And the finance side of it must, will, will be how much does all of this cost? And how do we, how do we you know, who pays that? Does the developer play it, pay for it? Does the planner pay for it? So I, mean, I think that, you know, planners take um, all sorts of grief in the, in the community over, oh, well, you know, things we do right now but I think that you know there's a lot of people who aren't looking out you know 20 years or 40 years to what kind of city we're going to have at that point right it, it, at times it must be a bit of a thankless job though yeah 
I mean, I think you got to have a thick skin to do it. I, I think I was adding up over my career how many hours I'll spend in public hearings on Tuesday nights. And it'll probably be, be between like 1,500 and 2,000 by the time I retire. If I, if I have a, you know, a 32-year career in planning, um, that, so that's, that's going to be a lot. It's a lot, and you have to have a, a thick skin. And I think that um, also uh, have a little humility and realize that um, we're changing the city a lot. And so you have to, I think that's a big responsibility. And I don't think you can approach it arrogantly where, you know, you just don't care at all. So I think you have to listen. And to, to everyone's complaint, there's a, there's a nugget in there where, the, where they, they might be right. And the change is, is challenging. And I mean, I look at, I walk out of my back porch and I can see five carriage houses off of my back porch. I live in the hospital neighborhood. And so like, definitely we have like a bit of a lack of privacy because of the density. I would say, I don't think I would be like, I don't think my wife Sunday is naked or anything, but, uh, um, who knows maybe when she, when I'm not there, but, you know, I, I think that it's just, it's a mindset change, right? I've had to, you have to get used to having different, you know, your privacy level is a little bit different because of that. You might use your yard a little bit differently, um, because of that change. And, uh, I don't think, anybody's entitled to, to total privacy um, or to total, you know, I think that when we have a housing crisis, everybody has to give up a little bit. And if it's a little bit of, you know, privacy or it's a little bit of size in your, your housing unit or whatever, I think that, you know, those things are all on the, um, on the table to change, to, to, you know, respond to the housing crisis. So isn't that interesting? You have five carriage houses around you that you can see from your back deck. And, you know, that, that may or may not be some some neighborhoods just they they just despise them they can't stand them but you yourself as someone in the planning department is saying no we need to densify and we need to figure this out because we do have a housing crisis we do need to to build more and so what what does that mean to you uh when we talk about infill and and density i mean these are these are some catch phrase words that that are thrown around but for the public, what does that mean like to you? Is it, does that mean just infill, like use any available areas within the city and just try and make sure that we're doing different different things? Yeah, I mean, I think that we obviously create a master plan that we call the official community plan to give that a little cohesion. But a lot of the central city neighborhoods are going to change a little bit over the next 20 years. And we're doing that um, in concert with a plan to you know, add certainly add a, a lot more density, what we call in what we call our urban centers or our town centers. Uh, so those you might, you know, everyone says to me, well, shouldn't we just be doing uh, missing middle housing? Can't we just do that and nothing else? And it's like, well, no, we need more of all types of housing. So m- towers downtown, and we could debate the height and how many and uh, you can debate um, the height of like, you know, should it be a four or six story building? Um, and then you can have that same debate on uh, what we call missing middle housing, and that would probably be like the, you know, three plexes, five plexes, six plexes, all the way up to a, you know, a three or four story building. And you know, how does that fit? Where does it fit? And we've tried to put some, a little bit of rigor in, in sort of the to the question of you know where does that work best? And so we've looked at transit routes along the city, for example, and said you know what, maybe we should have more three, four, five story buildings um, on roads along those transit routes and put those people right next to bus stops. And I I think that's a smart thing to do. Then, you know, buildings get built, more people move in, um, buses get fuller, and we can increase the bus frequency. And we're helping people get out of cars. Uh, In terms of the, again, the missing missing middle, 
And it's a weird name for, I mean, for missing, missing middle. middle housing. I don't know. Like those, you can, wait, it's a nerdy planner thing. We like to confuse people so they don't, so they don't know what we're really talking about. It's code. It's code. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's the way of like the most gentle change in neighborhoods, but it's going to be some change and there'll be, I mean, it's probably like the, you know, the city's adapted, I think quite well to carriage houses actually. And uh, we did that. RU7 project, uh, another another planning term that we were trying to confuse you, Rick, today. And, Easily done. And uh, which is basically, we said, in a bunch of areas, uh, there was about 850 lots that had, you know, two units louder than we said, okay, well, if you follow one of these designs, you could have four units. And so we're taking that and saying, well, maybe um, you could actually have five or six units on um, in a broader area. And what does that look like over the next little while? And that will definitely change the neighborhoods. But again, that's the bulk of our growth is going to happen in scenarios like that over the next 20 years. Okay, so um, you've been to, I don't know how many, 1,500 hours of, of planning meetings and, and that kind of thing, which sounds scintillating, by the way. What would be the top one or two or three that stick out in your mind is is probably the the late late nights and and it just seemed like it was just gonna go on and on and on and on like you must have a top three yeah i i mean i can't remember it, it was wasn't this council term it was the previous council term but we had one that went till you know like one or two, two o'clock in the morning two in the morning it would have been one thirty or two in the morning and uh, it might have been the same one where a gentleman brought in a little mini fire truck along with um, a sign and lobbying against a particular development. And he put the fire truck up on the podium and was trying to make the point that the fire truck couldn't, couldn't, couldn't reach the building or something. But then he forgot his fire truck up on the podium and you could tell he wanted to go back up and get his fire truck, but he was left there. And I can't remember. I think, I think someone actually got up and brought him his fire truck. It was well, distressing that, for him. And that's a great story. Cause I mean, a lot of times when when a gentleman gets separated from his fire truck, I mean, bad things happen. Yeah, well, if it was my 20-month-old at home and we took his fire truck away, it'd be World War III. Oh, yeah. yeah. You ever try to take candy from a baby? Like, honestly, it is one of the toughest things to do. Um, so that was one of those where, and at some point during that night, you got to be sitting there going, wow. Like, I, I understand due process. I understand people need a voice and all that kind of stuff, but... There must be a lot of redundancies at 2 a.m. <laughs> there is. I mean, I don't think anything good happens after 10.30 or 11 at the end of the day. Uh, but I think going back to, to what I said about the, um, you know, you got to take the role, and council certainly takes the role with a little humility, and, some, and we do as well, where, you know, those people are there. It's their neighborhood that's changing. I think, you know, they're, they're, they're due some type of opportunity um, to, to have to be heard out. I would say there's been a few good innovations in that area, though. Um, the provincial government changed the rules uh, in ooh, January this year or December of last year. So uh, for every like a rezoning application now that used to need a public hearing every single time, it's assumed that those don't need a public hearing now unless council specifically chooses to send them to public hearing. So that will cut down the amount of time, um, and it also speeds up the development process and housing delivery, which is a good thing. Now, didn't didn't the NDP talk about the fact that they were going to, you know, take m make it a lot smoother transition for for housing or something like like I think David Ebby was talking about doing something like that. There's a whole lot of different initiatives on the go. I mean, they were, the province did a, a 2019 report called the Development Application Process Review, uh, which I helped on, 
And there was you know, pages of initiatives that could be undertaken to streamline the development process. And so the province is still working at implementing those things. And uh, we've been trying to provide some advice or pilot ideas where we can. And I think we've always been on the forefront of that. Um, we've been good at housing delivery over the years. And uh, you know, sometimes we get criticized for you know, stripping bits of the, pr- the process out. But we try to do that strategically in an area that we think you know, not a lot of value is added, for example. And if the goal is getting housing approved quickly, um, you know, let's, let's, let's all co- uh, collaborate to get there. Uh, one of the things that people don't realize is that, like it doesn't happen overnight. Like that, you know, construction of a, you know, if you're a 60 unit rental building, that could take two or two and a half years right now with the way labor is. And so we could be approving all sorts of housing today, but there's not a blip on the radar until two and a half, three years from now until it gets occupied. So it, it's interesting where you're talking about this uh, relationship with the with the provincial government, and it sounds collaborative, not adversarial. Which I don't know. When I first heard the news that they were diving into the municipal affairs of of housing and development and planning, that that seems to be like I don't know, overarching, overreaching. No, well, it depends what they do uh, and how far they go with it. I mean, I think our recommendation would always be that. Um, they make incentives for politicians to approve housing. So communities that are meeting targets uh, are communities that, um, you know, maybe get extra infrastructure dollars. There should be some type of direct link there. You know, those are the fast growing communities. Why shouldn't Kelowna as the fastest, fastest growing um, city in the country, um, you know, are we getting our fair share of infrastructure dollars? Probably not. Um, you know, we, uh, we have a liberal government and, uh, and a conservative MP, and so we just that those politics. And it's no fault of, of those um, those local politicians. They do their best. They advocate hard. I see them do it. Um, but um, sh- we, it would be a whole lot easier for all of us in this business to know that you know the, the formula is simple. Uh, we need um, two thousand housing units this year of these different types. Let's put the incentives in place and know that the provincial government and the federal government are going to backstop some of our costs and also reward us with, you know, whether it's, you know, infrastructure dollars for park improvement or road improvement, that type of thing. Okay, so a lot of people are talking about the towers that are getting built, but let's talk about the towers that are not getting built. And it seems like they're not getting built. Like what... Just explain the. You mentioned two to three years for a tower, perhaps, uh, to build it. Um, and and again, we're coming out of probably a white hot housing market, and and people are putting things in front of council, and they're getting approved. And then there might be a really big gap before they actually hit the ground and and start building. That's got to be problematic from a planning standpoint because you're trying to bring on supply. But you are not really in charge of how soon or like uh, there, there might be, you know, some sort of window that they have to hit. Otherwise, they have to reapply. But but for the most part, you're just trying to manage the flow. And and if if everyone's not playing within those windows, you have a problem on your hands. Yeah, that's exactly it. And things change quickly, too. We went from having a white hot housing market you know, four months ago to interest rates going up a little bit and then a lot. And now there's like some nervousness out there. And the other thing that's gone, well, a couple of things have gone along with that, uh, you know, labor shortages, um, big issue, and then um, supply chain issues and costs. So if you're a developer right now, you've got an approval or just about to get an approval from the city. And you're like, okay, well, I don't know if my, 
um, buyers are going to be there, in, you know, in a year, two years, or whenever they have to close on the project. So I don't know if they're going to be here. Uh, I don't know how much it's going to cost me to build this project. Um, I don't know if interest rates are going to keep these all these uncertainties, which makes it challenging. And so we try and provide an, an environment where um, you know our municipal costs are certain, and there's a lot of transparency there, and our approval process is pretty predictable. Uh, but yeah, we can't control those control those things. And you know, it's interesting with you know the debate about you know towers and building height downtown. This just goes to show how much you know, time and leeway we have to really, um, you know, if, if we decide um, as a community over the next few years that you know enough is enough, there's too many, then we can change that. I mean, I, I think that again, um, you know, what's going on and what's approved has been approved in the right place. We spent years saying downtown's dangerous. Down, we don't like to go downtown. We there's nothing downtown for us on the weekends. And now we have this vibrant Bernard Avenue. We have people that are moving into buildings downtown. And now, oh, wait, we don't like skyscrapers again. We don't like towers again. And or there's too many on the books. And um, how many units are being approved? And so again, we could say that there's, you know, 5,000 units on the books that could be built. But the reality is with all these changes that are outside of our control, you know, could be 2,200. And so... We don't ring alarm bells early. Um, we wait and see. We track the data. I report out to council um, at least twice a year, sometimes four times a year. And what we're seeing with housing approval data and um, building permit starts. And uh, yeah, we need to make changes. We make changes and we need to provide more incentives. We try and provide more incentives. One thing that's interesting, though, I think that will come out of all this is the rental housing market. So it might, well, it might get you know a lot harder to buy a house, you might decide to rent then so the rental market might get a whole lot tighter and so you know when we're looking at the market right now we're thinking okay well because of these interest rate increases um, are we going to need to permit a whole lot more rental more quickly okay. and you know are there more incentives we can put in place do we have the right incentives in place right now that type of thing i'm not sure you know this but the the public is fickle so you you live in the community you work in uh you have a I would say a high profile job um, and you probably get stopped in the grocery store at some point uh, does your wife kind of go hey um, why don't you stay at home and I'll just go get the groceries and and then the grocery stop doesn't take two hours or whatever like do you often get stopped like do you often get pulled aside and say hey what about that tower over there well to be fair to my wife I actually she does most of the grocery shopping now I do very little well, just I, want to I wouldn't let that. you yeah, lose yeah, at a grocery a, store for sure yeah she's a saint yeah, I make bad decisions in the grocery store I'm a potato chip guy so are you yeah which yeah. one what's your favorite I like the old Dutch barbecue really yeah Okay, yeah. so yeah, kind of a throwback. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah when, definitely. Uh, things were a little gentler back then. They were, yeah. I mean, I and I mean, I also like there's two different old Dutch barbecues. I mean, if you really want to get into it, there's yeah. the ones from the box. Okay. Those are different than the ones in the bag, but I like both. So the ones in the box, I don't even know which ones, because all I know is the ones in the box from the Pringles. Well, old Dutch used to, or still do, have a box of two bags of chips. Yeah. If you look in the so I've had those. Yeah. Yeah. So those taste be- taste different than the old Dutch you get in the bag. Oh, okay. Yeah. So are yeah. you suggesting the two bag is the the way we need to no, go? No, they're both they're both they're both good. They're just different. the The classic is the boxed. Okay. And then the newer fl- the newer barbecue flavor is the uh, the bag ones. But 
see, my, my uncle used to be able to tell the difference between a, a bottle of beer and, and something from a can. And we, we actually did a taste test where we poured them into the exact same uh, red Solo cups. And then he had to tell if they were, came from a can or a bottle. He nailed every single one, which added evidence and, and weight to his argument that there's actually a definite taste. So could you do that with the potato chips? So could you tell the difference between the bag and the two bags? Yeah, my friends would say yes for sure. Really? Probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're that high level. Yeah, yeah. Chip ninja. Yeah. The really? Next, the next time I run into you at a party, we'll go get some chips and we'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, listen. Uh, challenge accepted. Yeah. Here we go. Okay. Well, so like, so back to the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, started, we were off on a tangent there a little bit, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's... Yeah. I like to chat. I mean, obviously, we can chat at a point. I can, I can chat. And, you are a chatter. Uh, yeah. I'm a chatter. And I like to socialize. It's tough. It can be tough. Like when you're out with the kids and stuff and someone wants to have a planning chat or it's like a, a cell phone call on the weekends, that's, that's kind of tough. Yeah. But for the most part, usually it's good stuff. And uh, I would say in the last, I don't know, 18 months, I've, you know, we rarely get people calling us saying good things. It's mostly complaints about traffic or landscaping or parking that type of thing but i've had more people call or stop me in the you know the last little while um to compliment what's going on in the city and say hey uh, we're getting these big city amenities and these big city experiences we didn't ever really think we were going to have here how cool is that and you know even um the, the city team that worked on the bernard closure um i had no hand in that at all and i get compl- i get compliments about that and uh, isn't that nice though? so yeah kudos to my team there the team that does that they don't work for me they work for a colleague but um, it's working great, and it's it's making the city better. Okay, so you've worked under two fellas, uh, Doug Gilchrist and and Ramatusi. So clearly, you like one over the other. I mean, let's face it. Come on. Well, that's that that's tough. Um, you know what? Do I have to pick? You want me to pick a favorite on on this podcast? You know what? For fun. Uh, okay. What what have you noticed about so I would the, the say, two different so styles? So Ron, Ron's a better hugger. Oh, he is a hugger. Yeah, he's a yeah. great hugger. Um, yeah. He's, really, really he's like a full body hugger. He yeah. hugs with his whole soul. Yeah. 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 I mean, if I'm looking for like a, an adventure travel buddy, yeah. I would rather like adventure travel with Doug. Doug says like you get into great adventures with Doug. Okay. And very adventurous, likes to say yes and have the, like the full experience. Yeah. Um, then like they're both good cooks it'd be hard to like pick a good cook really because yeah. i think yeah. ron would have the edge i've never I, admittedly i've never had a, mm-hmm. a doug you know make me anything but but i think ron what? in flatbread pizza i don't know man he does the good flour yeah you should ask doug to cook for the to cook uh, on the stones for you one night really yeah he's got the stones to do that yeah yeah he has like a stone cooking yeah it's, it's like it's fabulous really yeah, cookie like some prawns and some veggies it's awesome isn't there some sort of fire code that I could call on Doug? Because I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you probably never get another city planner on your podcast. <laughs> okay, as, as divisional director of planning development, you probably don't even have to pay taxes, right? I'd probably pay more. Really? No. I don't know. Come on. Yeah. I think you get a you get you get some sort of free pass. I pay, no, I pay for my parking. You don't get any. No, there's no freebies at City Hall. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's uh, um, you gotta I'm pay for to everything. Think of perks. I don't know. Mostly like, <laughs> but the mostly parking. I've had, when people get to me now, 
um, they've been they're upset with like a few levels of staff below me, and so no one really no one's in a good mood when you get to me and like. I'm a pretty friendly guy, and so sometimes that's challenging. You want to go in and be the nice guy, and I can't be. So how do you bring somebody down? Like, Do you have a, a technique or strategy you employ when somebody's coming at you full, full on about something obviously they're passionate about? Do you have kind of in your head a, a thought process or a questioning strategy? Dep- or? Depends on the type of person. There's people out there who just want to give you an earful, and they're done, and you, they can move on. There's some people that want to under, give you an earful and then have you respond and understand. And, you know, there's some people that uh, even more are more academic, like want to know the, the nuts and the bolts of exactly how how the whole thing works. And it's like this whole spectrum. So try and figure out, you know, what type of person I am and how much, you know, how much time to put into something. And, you know, is there a problem, you know, that they've gone through a bunch of my stuff or like, you know, what's what's the what's the issue? What's the real issue? What's really making them upset? And is that something the city can change? Sometimes it's things we can't change at all. I mean, we hear people regularly complain about the highway, which the city really has nothing to do with. Um, oftentimes, I can connect them to people that might be able to answer their questions a little bit better, uh, or you know, um, help provide some context at least. And oftentimes, I find myself providing you know the big picture context. Here's why we're growing this way. It might not be evident today. But, you know, 20 or 30 years from now, uh, if we don't grow this way, we're going to have a really, really big mess on our hands. And so, like, when you talk about buses and bike lanes and all those types of things, that's why we're changing the plan. And I mean, I'm a cyclist. Um, I don't think that's any, any secret. But there's not a lot of cities out there that are as great as Kelowna to ride a bike around. And you can do it eight or nine months a year. You really can, can't you? Mm-hmm. So I would say for me. You're probably an e-biker, aren't you? Damn straight. Like, I actually... <laughs> I that's not a shot at like oh no no I know but unless I have a full charge you can't get me out of the house like I need a full charge oh you have like charge anxiety yeah yeah so it's it's a thing later on in life you'll you'll understand um but I think the biggest thing for me is I was impressed one day when I had to leave uh, my truck on Banks Road cycle down to Springfield then over to Landmark and then downtown and then back and I was actually shocked that I felt like I was doing better time than had I taken my vehicle. Like, it, it actually felt like that. Oh, I mean, I'd be shocked if it didn't. And, I mean, even t- I used to have to do this um, silly competition during Bike to Work Week. I don't know. Maybe it was even like 15 years ago where I'd have to race a car somewhere. And they'd make me as like the, the city employee who was the cyclist. And uh, I would always beat the car. Well, I was part of the uh, uh, PR stunt, I guess you could say, but a uh, car left from Parkinson. Now, again, a little bit waited. It was at 7.45 a.m. in the morning. Had to go to the university, and the cyclist beat the car by a good, like, six minutes. Yeah, yeah, so I did that, too, for years. And there's it for, you know, on most routes where you have to go through the core of the city, the bike is way more efficient. I mean, the problem, I mean, you'll get... I don't know, thousands of people now saying, well, I can't take my bike anywhere because of bike theft. And I think that's a legitimate concern. And uh, I actually think that, uh, you know, the whole business community in the city needs to start thinking about how do we make it safer, whether it's our employees or our customers to park bikes. If you can't leave them outside the business anymore, where do you leave them? Yeah. Well, I think your tactic is a pretty good one, which is, uh, you know, 
the, the, the stickers you put on your bike and the streamers and the flags. Like, I mean, no one's going to steal your bike. You, yeah, no, I hope not. That's why I put the streamers on there. Okay. So on the good side, we have, you know, a very good, um, arteries for, for cycles. We have cycle areas pass. What is one area of the city that you still would like to tackle, move forward? It's a horizon thing. It's a goal. It's a, it's a thought and it, and it keeps you awake at night. What, what part of the city do you want to do that with? Are we talking bike infrastructure still or more mm. like, or anything? Anything. In it. Like if, if I just said tomorrow, you can do that. You can. Yeah. So every time I fly out of YLW and now that I'm telling you this, you're going to notice if you haven't already, when you fly over kind of the, the business center of Kelowna, like the Harvey Avenue enterprise between, you know, I want to say like Dilworth, Cooper, all the way up to, you know, Leith Head, maybe a little further it's very gray. Like you got a lot of like big parking lots, big buildings, big roofs, not a lot of landscaping, not a lot of trees. Uh, if we, if we had a bunch of money where we could work and incentivize property owners in that area, um, to, to figure out how they can green it up a little bit. Uh, I think that, I mean, huge environmental benefits. I think, um, in terms of even Kelowna being like those these, these weeks where we're going to be 35 later this week. Yeah. Um, and that area gets stinking hot. And wouldn't it be nice if the area looked better, first of all? Um, but also, um, I think there's a whole lot of benefit um, environmentally that, that could come from that. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, a lot of it's outside of the city's control, though. I mean, some of it we could be adding street trees to. But, I mean, a lot of it is privately owned, and it's these businesses who have been there for you know, 35 years, they didn't do trees back then, or maybe they used to have trees and they took them out for whatever reason. And yeah, I think that uh, how could how could we raise awareness that uh, that might be a goal? So that's something that I kind of have on my whiteboard where it's like, okay, uh, I, you know, very seldom, a lot of those properties don't redevelop. Okay, if they do, we always take the opportunity to make the meet our landscape by standards by law. But you know, those others, there's lots of them that have just been that look the same for 30 years and will probably look the same for the next 30 years. What would it take to change those? And how could we do it? What's interesting is uh, I, I still think of the the brilliant plan. Uh, I don't know who came up with it. Probably you. Um, but the flower pots on the meridians. No, that was Joe Curran. Was it? Yeah, I think it was Joe's plan. Many, 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 many Ian Wilson. Because that that's brilliant. Because yeah. obviously, it, you know, mm-hmm. it dissuades from uh, panhandling. But... It also looks pretty good, actually, for a, for a median. I think it's nice We're pulling up there in the you know this summer when those come out. And my wife was actually asking me, you know, are they putting those back out this year? And I said, yeah, I hope so. It's kind of just a nice burst of color out there. It is, yeah. yeah. So when you fly over, so what the the quadrant we're talking about because we're going to do a beautify Kelowna uh, element here, which which might mean you and I have to walk down that area a lot more. Uh, to really beautify it, but but I'm just wondering what area that we were talking about when you were in the plane. So I I would say you know Harvey Avenue Enterprise or 97 Enterprise from like uh, Cooper or Dilworth on the southern end to on the northern end. You're probably looking at it might even go as far back as Spall to the northern end at you know Leithhead. Okay. Maybe a little further. Maybe um, McCurdy. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. But you know, you know that area. So the next time you fly over to even pull up an air photo and, uh, or go up, uh, do a, you can look from Dilworth, some parts of Dilworth down at that area and then look towards downtown, especially right now at this time of year. 
And downtown's as green as it's going to be. All those residential neighborhoods, they're, aw- they're stunning. And then you look the other way and it's like, ooh, like, that's, like, you know, like, that's not something to be proud of. And so, I mean, if, you know, 15 years ago, I can look back and say, hey, you know, one of the things that I did, the top five things that I did uh, was impact that. I, I'd be proud of that. We have to bring it up because it's, it's huge. It's big. Parkinson. Parkinson, the the redevelopment and everything else from your standpoint, um, you know, it's it's one of those things. Uh, Ramatusi said it's it's like the the pig and the python. Like it, it's one of those massive expenditures that cities go through. Hopefully, there's enough gap in between these big projects. But just explain from your standpoint where where it hits as far as because uh, it, it it seems like it's one of the biggest ever builds for Kelowna in a forever yeah i don't know yeah i mean the rcmp was probably our last you know really big building but yeah this will be the next one um was that we actually got to go with council into vancouver and look at sort of comparators that have been built and it was an interesting i'm i'm not like a rec guy background i'm more the planning development background and so learning about rec centers and what to think about and so my lens that i apply is okay one, it happens, um, and maybe there's going to be a school in there too at some point in the future too, and I think that, that'll be up to the school district and their funding model and if they can make that happen, which would be awesome if they could. Uh, so if that all happens, uh, you know, what happens in the neighborhood around there? Uh, does that neighborhood around there need to change? Do we need to take another look at it with uh, you know, our community plan? Does it need like a little area plan? Probably we should be trying to put people close to that, you'd think, right? So they can use it and what, you know, who would need to move close to that? Um, you know, do we have, you know, seniors with, you know, disabilities and mobility challenges that might want to be closer to that? Do we have, uh, you know, if there's going to be a school there, maybe we need some family housing close to that. And how do we set the stage for that to happen potentially? Because it, it creates a ripple effect whenever you put something of that size caliber facility and people want to move around there. Or, or I, yeah. I guess, what does the population look like around that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll probably look at, you know, do we have a, what's the population today? Um, what is the, you know, the demographic split of that population who lives around there? Who uses Parkinson today? And then try and look at similar facilities and think about who's going to use the new one. And how much housing needs to go, you know, within a kilometer of there. And certainly um, the other part of that is, uh, you know, we're sitting in a landmark building right now and there's a ton of office here. Uh, we did a plan a few years ago, which called for a whole lot more residential in this neighborhood and a little bit has happened, but that's walkable residential for this, for this neighborhood too. So anything that gets built over there um, serves this as well. Okay, so let's do rapid fire. Okay, so you're just going to give me a comment or a statement or a phrase or, well, we'll just we'll just speed her up. You here. I like to talk. You can't just do I, that. I know, I know, I know. But I, you know, Doug's going to think this is Doug put you up to this, right? He's going to think this is funny. <laughs> what do you think when when uh, somebody running for council says I'm going to go clean up uh, clean up the city? I'm going to tighten it up. I'm going to you know I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do that. What do you think? Best of luck. I'm here to help. Uh, traits of a city councillor that you would like to see. So personality traits or, or just anything about them that you would like them to have. And, and I'm not talking about current, I'm saying incoming. What, what kind of people you want to see at the old council table? 
I think people who ask a lot of questions and are inquisitive. Okay. Um, Tolko, the, the land for the mill and everything else, which is apparently a really big chunk of land, very, you know, it, it's an amazing piece of property, lakefront, a whole bunch of stuff going for it. Few thoughts of, of just what it means to the city. Yeah, I have to do this quick rapid fire. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it will be um, and should be um, one of the most one of the premier waterfront developments in in Canada. Awesome, uh, transit, Kelowna, hovercraft, light rail, uh, Uber. Like, what what are we going to do? How are we going to move people around the city? Uber should be first. I can't even believe that. I don't. Maybe this is like old news, but I can't believe that it's we still don't have Uber here. It's insane. I would love. I, lo- I would love to see the like the. I think like the, the industry where just micro mobility, but that's all the scooters, the e-bikes, all that stuff. I'd love to keep seeing how that explosion continues. Um, we could be into autonomous vehicles though faster than we know it. I was in San Francisco um, about two months ago, and uh, they're testing autonomous vehicles like four or five different companies all over that city right now, and. It, you know, we can't be that far off. I mean, I, it's some of those big American cities, sure, it will explode first, but 10 years from now, um, it's going to come quick. It's a disruptive technology. Like anything oh, yeah. we plan right now will be disrupted by autonomous vehicles. Like, I mean, it has to be. Yeah. Where do they go? That's the question we're not even, That that's one of the things I, you know, ask me what my role is. That's one of the things that uh, I'm going to start pushing my staff to get into, you know, now that we... And we're done in OCP, we're just finished a zoning bylaw, we've done a lot of heavy lifting. What's next? Well, let's think about some of those other things that, uh, you know, might not have been on our radar, but should be. And it started on the Rick and Friends show, didn't it? Yeah, it started, started on the Rick and Friends show. Like, this is where it started. Yeah. That's so exciting. Uh, thanks again to my friend, uh, Ryan Smith, and uh, sharing the time. And, man, we'll do it again. Why not? Uh, do I get to put the official city planner badge on you now, Rick? Well, let's face it. Uh, I want to plan some stuff. <laughs> nice, nice. Thanks again. <laughs>